Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now, my uh, dear friends, uh, this is the fourth sermon uh, in our sermon series on the letter of James. And this evening study is James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Now, we've learned that James is writing to refugee Jewish believers who fled persecution in Jerusalem. And he writes to encourage them that joy is the fruit of trial in the life of a believer. And he explains how a believer can attain such joy. He or she is to ask our generous God, our Heavenly Father, for his wisdom. And James then underlines that godly wisdom of that sort is nurtured and strengthened in a specific way. It is in the study of Scripture, of God's Word, and its application to a believer's life. Now, James also warned us against being a double-minded person because such an inconstant attitude does not harmonize with God's character in simplicity and singleness of purpose. Beware of being adrift in your mind and heart tossed here and there because God's wisdom, being the exact opposite of such inconstancy will be thwarted in your life. And then we examined last Sunday how James gives an example of the application of God's wisdom in the believer's life. He addresses two groups. He writes to the poor who have endured great material loss in their escape from persecution. And he writes to the rich who have managed to come away with much more in possession and wealth. And he writes that whether you're poor or rich, you are to guard against seeking more and more material blessings that this world may offer you. Material blessing is not an end in itself for the Christian. And so James writes that the resolution of the problem of a worldly boasting that exposes our hidden Security and material blessings is a godly boasting. What unites us all as believers is our godly boasting in Jesus Christ. That continued meditation on what Jesus Christ has done for you and me, spilling over then in our glorifying him for all that he has done. Now, having illustrated in this one concrete example, this application of godly wisdom, he now broadens the application still further. In other words, he reminds us that being born from above, our lives are inevitably a test, a trial. It's not that God has abandoned you. It is that God is confirming his work in you. And so he writes in verse 12, reminding us of this fact. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, 
Now you see that heavenly orientation. He'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So James lovingly answers what would be perhaps a common objection that believers may have, that it's God who has brought me into these circumstances, that has brought me into a test and a trial that I've failed, and I am now continuing to fall morally. James is clear here in verse 13, isn't he? Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. It is not that old phrase, you know, God made me do it, or the circumstances to which God has brought me. God is not tempted to evil in himself. Therefore, he cannot tempt anyone. It is contrary to his nature. Rather, he tests his workmanship in us, allowing that trial to continue. But temptation is not his method. So in the verses that follow, James wants us to understand our responsibility here in the stages that lead to that moral failure and fall before we get there. Because whenever we consider this, inevitably we come to it too late. Those who have fallen come for help too late, when all they can do now is deal with the consequences of that failure. You hear it so often as a pastor. I have over the years. I don't know why, or I don't know what came over me. It can be seconds in the turning, you see. So James writes here in verses 12 through 18 a very, very valuable uh, lesson for us, young and old. He wants us to do two things. He wants us to see how temptation works in verses 14 through 15 and to explain how temptation may be overcome in verses 16 through 18. Now, all the while he does this, as we've seen already, he keeps the Old Testament in his mind, specifically here in two Old Testament narratives with which we are familiar. Genesis chapter 3 and the temptation of the woman in the garden and 2 Samuel 11, the temptation of David and the lust for Bathsheba. Let's go to the first then. How does temptation work? But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, temptation happens in a moment of time, just seconds. But notice how James takes things step by step here. In other words, he's counseling us to slow down. Slow down so that you may examine effectively under a spiritual magnifying glass. So if you're tempted, the first step is to pause and to go slow and to look at it 
up close. Now, for, for James, there's four stages here. The first is a deceptive attraction, a deceptive attraction. The person is lured, you see. He or she is persuaded by deception. Deception is the goal of temptation. It always involves this problem. In other words, we do not see far enough past it. In a believer's case, to the crown of life that James has just told us in verse 12. When we see past the deception, we must unmask it for what it is. It is what we learn in our study of the Sermon to the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now notice how deception corrupts attraction. We're lured, we're drawn away, we're enticed by our desire. Like a fly fisherman who carefully crafts his lure and fly to flick on the surface of the water, deceiving the trout to grasp it, thinking it's food, but instead the poor trout becomes the fisherman's food. Now notice how deception corrupts in this way. The attraction is corrupting, it's deceiving. Now Genesis 3 is what James has in mind here. Because the woman also is lured, enticed by the serpent. She's deceived. Here's Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. Now notice how the least important aspect of the tree becomes the most important to the woman. It's good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It was desired. And notice also the most important aspect of the tree becomes the least important. Now, what was the most important thing about that tree? Well, what was the most important was that God, what God had said about that tree. The word of God is muffled and set aside. The most important is made the least important, and the least important becomes the most important. In the same way, in 2 Samuel 11, as King David gazed down from the rooftop patio of his palace to see the beautiful Bathsheba in her bath, he had a choice. He could have asked, what does God say about a married woman? About desiring what another has, my neighbor's wife, of covetousness. All David had to do was remember God's word in terms of what? The Ten Commandments, but no. He was led by the lure to consider her beauty, her desirability, his power to grasp her for his own pleasure. 
there is a deceptive attraction and there is also next a preoccupation. Preoccupation is the next stage. Staying with 2 Samuel, James underlines how enticed by his own desire, it turns over and over in King David's mind. In other words, he became fascinated with the idea, with the possibility of taking this woman for himself. The possibility draws more and more thought into ultimate consummation. Now, this past week, I was doing a paper for Bishop Julian, and in my research, I came across by accident or by providence, I'm not quite sure actually, a poem by John Bunyan that fit this notion of preoccupation quite well. It's a caution to stir up, to watch against sin. Listen to what it says. Sin, rather than twill out of action be, will pray to stay, though but a while with thee, one night, one hour, one moment will it cry, Embrace me in thy bosom, else I die. Time to repent, saith it, I will allow, and help, if to repent thou knowest not how, but if you give it entrance at the door, Bunyan warns, it will come in, and may go out no more. It reminded me of that child story of Dr. Seuss, the cat in the hat. The children let the cat inside just for a little while, just for a little bit, and chaos ensues and covers everything. That's Bunyan's point. Don't give it one inch. Deceptive attraction, preoccupation, and then conception. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Now, James uses a vivid metaphor showing how the process is like the reproductive process. And once it passes preoccupation, it is nearly impossible to stop. What are the, the parents James has in mind here? The sperm of desire? The egg of temptation? Consider what he's saying. There may be desire, but no opportunity, no temptation. There may be opportunity, temptation, but no desire. But when there is desire and temptation, that's the warning sign. That's when sin is conceived and is born. Now, its final stage is subjection. That's the last clause of verse 15. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Consider what we've discussed in James' example of King David. David, the writer of most of the Psalms we sing each Sunday. But for nine months, he was content to live a lie, indifferent to the deception and the murder he had orchestrated until the child was born. 
this truth that James underlined here is both sobering and scary for any believer, young or old. Would we know when we are most vulnerable from David's example? Well, we can. I'll give you a modern example. It's when we sit under God's word, we're taught by God's spirit, but we go home or switch off from our Zoom call and say, well, that did nothing for me. You see, my dear friends, King David had the prophet Nathan in his pulpit week after week for nine months. You see, you can have God's word roll off you like water off a duck's back. It did nothing for him. It does nothing for me. It's very telling. It's the danger sign of vulnerability. God's word, the most important thing, has become the least important thing. Now, why would James go into such detail? overcome temptation, you must understand it before it comes. Because when you're in the midst of it, it's too late to learn how it works. So now James continues with some very practical teaching in these next verses and how it may be overcome. And he tells us three things we have to do. So you may want to write these down. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now notice there's three things we need to know that we can tease from these sentences. The first is do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. In other words, become very, very familiar with the stages of temptation that James has just set out, these four stages. Learn them by heart so that you will not be deceived by the lure of your own desire. James alludes here to wisdom, to Proverbs 8, verse 14. I have counsel and sound wisdom, I have insight, I have strength. It is the insight that is to see in and through what is happening, to slow down, to think it through, applying what you've learned from God's word to this encounter with temptation. I think it's rather like watching professional sports. Now, I know I don't watch professional sports. I'm known for that. But actually, in the past, before I had a gray beard, I would actually watch professional golf. It was great to sit in a cold January day in England and tune in the Bob Hope Desert Classic or Bing Crosby's own golf tournament in in Palm Springs, all these wonderful places men in short sleeve shirts watching beautiful golf. You know how a famous athlete makes a perfectly executed play or shot and the commentators go wild with analysis and they switch to a slow motion capture in replay 
in what the athlete had done. They would analyze frame by frame what had gone into the details so that you can see for yourself what years of training and practice have done. And you can go out and try and imitate what you've seen in terms of swing arc and body geometry, how the head and feet are positioned, what's his grip on his club, and perhaps you can be like that athlete. Study the stages of temptation. Get that slow motion camera going. The next second, next sentence has the second thing we need to know. James writes, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now learn how to be absolutely convinced of the unchanging goodness of God. The unchanging goodness of God. Become absolutely convinced in this, because this is the focus of the evil one. To dislodge this conviction from your heart. When things go wrong in your life, or things are not moving fast enough for you in your life, or you're not achieving what you thought you would achieve by now, things are not turning out the way you imagined, don't be a fool, the evil one will whisper. He has another agenda. Do you really think God is good for you? But you know better. Take it. Do it. But my dear friends, God is good all the time. All the time. Now study the stages of temptation. Commit to memory the fulfilled promises of God chronicled in Scripture to become absolutely convinced of his unchanging goodness toward you, the believer. And the third follows in the last sentence. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Never forget that those who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ have been born again. You know the transforming power of the new birth. You are begotten by God. I mean, what in the end is the problem in a believer's moral failure? It's forgetting who I am. Forgetting I am Christ. Forgetting I belong to the family of God. Am I a dog that I should do such a thing? No, I am a new man, a new woman in Jesus Christ. I have a new dignity. I do not need that. This remembrance is so important. It's how James began in his introduction to these verses, isn't it? When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him, the unchanging goodness of God, and the reality that we are a new creature in him, gaining the crown of life. Is this the most important thing to you, my dear friends? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Look at what verse 19 says. Know this, my beloved brothers. It is for what follows and what precedes. You must know this. 
God is good to you. He is good for you and everything he says about you. Where are you going to find confirmation of this truth? Not in life. It's too chaotic. It's ever-changing. Not by seeking within in your heart. It's too confused. It makes mistakes. The place you will find this is in Scripture. When the Apostle Paul writes things like Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. That's the point. Is Jesus Lord of all your life? If he is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. God's gift draws us into eternal life, the exact opposite of the result of temptation and sin leading to death. You know what I'm going to say next. There are just two ways to live. Your way, temptation, sin, and death, or God's way, goodness, life, and the eternal crown. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the support the show link under the contact us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.